Okay, cut real quick. This is Big Will, Heavy Hole Podcast. Interrupting this episode quickly with kind of a little sad uh, disclaimer. Seijin from Dead Infection, the drummer and founding member since 1991, I believe, has sadly passed away since we recorded this episode uh, and spoke about the work of Dead Infection and about his ongoing um, health concerns and the GoFundMe and all that. So we just wanted to update you with that sad news and give you this Gore Grind and Grindcore episode uh, now in tribute to Dead Infection and to Seijin and his work and to all the other people that we've lost in the metal community. So rest in peace to him and uh, our thoughts go out to all of his friends and uh, family and to our fellow fans of his work as we are fans of his work too. So rest in peace to him. Uh, and we're going to proceed now with our special deep dive in the Subjean Marine Gore Grind episode. I'm Uncle Effortless, a.k.a. Regurgitation of Bright Red Blood. Uh, J-Wall, Justin, hey. <laughs> hey there, how you doing? <laughs> it's good. What's going on? I heard a rumor, right off the top, <clears throat> cut the bullshit, I heard a rumor that Justin's bathroom is done. Well, I want to extend a formal invitation. Thank you. Go out, I'll, well, I'll do you one better, I'll take you out a nice dinner. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> tell me your favorite. You want filet of soul over... Over some broccoli rabe with some mashed potatoes. <laughs> Do you want some nachos on a, with a side of fries? <laughs> Anything you want, it's on me. You come on over, you let that shit out over in my house, my brand new oh, bathroom. Oh my it god. It is done. 100% complete. How you doing? I feel like this is the perfect opportunity to plug New Wave Burrito downtown Huntington Village. There you go. They need it. Shout out to the boy Dan Valentino. Okay? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh my god. Heavy intake. Heavy outtake. Heavy hole. Yeah. <laughs> heavy, hole. heavy intake, heavy hole. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, All yeah, right. uh, the year-long, the boyhood dream has become has come true. Yeah. Uh, we are done. Glad, I'm glad we classed up the jokes like I was telling you guys to do <laughs> a little while back. Oh, my God. Water is flowing. Will, how was your week? Oh man, um, I'm flowing. I got a new uh, hobby, a new, well, a new little, a new little niche in cinema. I'm into. Um, it's kind of like like uh, black leather sunglasses, uh, electronic music noir. Nice. Uh, it's like uh, like the Blade movies, um, the Crow movies, of which there's like four sequels. Edward Furlong and Tara Reid got involved. I haven't oh gotten that God. far in the. Um, in, in the legacy yet uh, rest in peace to Brandon Lee um, and obviously the Matrix being the flagship series the flagship franchise of this uh, like uh, sunglasses and electronic music they brought it in fast yeah, heavy like, leather rock and roll yeah yeah uh, and also what what was that movie with um, rest in peace Aaliyah um, Queen of the Damned oh Queen of the Damned that's oh, a great yeah. movie This that's what I'm saying like this was a genre Ooh. in the 90s um, I believe uh, Doug from Piron, uh, he, he called it Matrix Casual when people when people <laughs> dress like that, you know, like like they just have like kind of like a like a weird off gray like thermal and a, a le- like a leather choker and some like some weird you know what I mean yeah, like yeah. some shiny pants kind of thing. Tom, put some heavy industrial under this. Yeah, Un- yeah, under- yeah, yeah. You know where we're going. I was gonna one of my favorite soundtracks. Yeah, understated though the soundtracks to all these heavy leather films. Uh, well. 
speaking of soundtracks, I did watch the original The Crow. Rest in peace to yeah. Brandon Lee over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found time to watch um, si- uh, City of Angels, the, the sequel. The, yeah, that's the, a good That's a good one. Not bad. Yeah, you the know? first Crow was, was good, uh, for, as comic book movies go. Uh, the second one, pretty good sequel. I mean, not really breaking the, <clears throat> you know, um, uh, uh, redesigning the wheel. Nope. Um uh, breaking the mold, but you know whatever it was cool as comic book movies go. I feel like that, uh, like later on, like like in the two thousands when you had like Sin City and three hundred and that wave of comic book movies, mm-hmm. it takes a little bit from that kind of like noir look. So, yeah. Yeah. Frank Miller, right? Yeah, he did yeah. that really high contrast. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah shout but, out to late nineties Sting yeah, for turning so, me on to the Crow. Yeah, was, yeah. So I'm, that was good. I'm gonna get a leather duster uh, and a pair of sunglasses. Uh, and a, like a like a see through, um, what do you call that? The like fish the, net? You get that the mesh fish, top, yeah, yeah. a mesh top, <laughs> and we'll see how that works for me. It won't even. My, I have so much chest hair; it's not even gonna look mesh. That's the perfect thing to wear oh on Valentine's God. Day, man. So, Good God! It's all, it's all your love is. Oh out God! I just gave away my costume for the artificial brain uh, blood incantation show. Good God! Come uh, and spread your love on everybody. Oh God! Enough about my weekend, uh, Tom. How are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing all right. You know, I've been playing a lot of guitar this week. We have a episode coming up for our bonus content on the Patreon. It might be out uh, by the time this comes out, but yeah, um, true, it has a lot to do with finger picking mm, and claw yeah. hammer style guitars. There you go. So um, I highly recommend to all of our guitar player listeners, which I know we have a lot of, because you know metal goes hand in hand with the old the old shredders. You That's know. Right. Um, if you're trying to broaden your horizons, check out some some Jerry Reed and Chet Atkins, and uh, watch how harmony really works. Ooh, mm, hot yeah. takes. Yeah. All right, Chet Atkins. I'll okay. sign what you take. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Justin, uh, you finished your bathroom. What else? You yeah, my bathroom is done. Oh, um, yes. Uh, Salt. We saw some uh, some moon tooth this week. We did. Thank you for reminding Ooh. me. Yeah. Um, Long Island in the house. There we go. Friends of the show. Uh, we're over at Saint Vitus with. Time King, Time and King. Uh, Fall of the Albatross. Fall of the Albatross. There you okay. go. Okay. I'm forgetting the other band. Me but, too. Um, but they were they were good. A lot of notes. Yeah. Doing the jazzy proggy, uh, playing your fucking heart out, man. Uh, it was a great show. Mootooth shows up. It was very very nice. Yeah, the listeners, you can go back and uh, we did a whole episode interviewing Mootooth, um, so you can check that out. Yeah. There you go, uh, Nick. Uh, Nick Lee always. Razzles and dazzles. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I can't. I can't keep my eyes off him personally. The, the singer, man. What was he up to, man? He's always doing something wild. Oh, he's fantastic. John was keeping yeah. it down, man. His vocal performances—they're uh, always getting better. He was Whoa. spot on and and, uh, and and commanded the crowd, man. Uh, total mm. professional. That entire band. Uh, very big things I see. I see for them. You know, they just keep plugging away, man. That's a, that's a sound that's that's unique and. Um, I think has that that mainstream appeal. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Mm. Uh, so, Moon Fucking Tooth. If you don't know, check it out. Listen to Heavy Hole with uh, with Moon Tooth um, episode back from before this. And that's what <laughs> 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 yeah, just any random episode. Moon Tooth. Yeah, we did an episode. We had we had uh, Nick and Ray. Uh, we're in the studio, man. A while back. Yeah, they yeah. shouted out their family back. Uh, you know, which is funny. Family in the crowd. Uh, Really downplaying the spin kicks and the elbow throwing, <laughs> you know what I mean? The New yes. York shows are always good for that family in the crowd, man. We've had a couple of family members in the crowd over here. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Dan Gargiulo and uh, Sam Smith's moms in the pit deep. Yeah, right yeah. up front, man. Yeah.
I love Moontooth. I love a lot of very technical, progressive music, music with lots of riffs, melodies, things like that. Uh, we're throwing that all out the window at this point <laughs> in the ride tonight, okay? Buckle up, because we're going on another deep dive in the subgenre marine. Subgenre, some subgenre marine. I like to call it all sorts of silly stuff. Go. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're yeah. still working it out phonetically, but yeah, you could read yeah. it. So. Yeah, it's the subgenre marine. Um, and tonight we're going to talk about grindcore, uh, but we're going to talk about how grindcore split into so many different things through the course of the late 80s and through the 90s. Gore grind, mincecore, noisecore, power violence. What does it all mean? This is crazy to me. Still figuring it out. Yeah, I'm still trying to come to grips with all what this, What are man. these things? Oh. But yeah, what's a, what is a mincecore? Do I need a blender to listen to this? I, I don't know. Um, the imagery is great, though. Yeah. Hold off on the food processor, though, because I'm going to try to break it down for you as best I can. I don't profess to be an expert on the topic of grindcore and the subgenres involved. I'm just a man who uh, has steeped myself in a love of underground music for many, many years, and I try to share it with everybody on this podcast. You know more than most about this, so it's uh, well, a good place I'm, to start. I know more than some, and I've learned from one of the best. Uh, shout to Adam Rotella, because most of the stuff I'm going to be talking about, he either turned me on to, dubbed me a copy of, gave me his old version of, or you know, or something along the ways. Um, and, and again, I'm not an expert. I'm going to miss a couple of bands along the way. Let me know on the social media what I left out, man, because I'll, I'll try to turn myself on to it, man. I'll, I'll try to share it with everybody. But I can't wait to hear it. I'm going to learn some stuff. Yeah, dude, yeah, get your notebooks out, man. Get your moleskin going. You know, when it comes to grindcore, I think the story's been told very well. You have that, um, uh, the improbable history of death metal and grindcore book. Uh, you know, they, they talk a lot about the early days of Earache Records, uh, the Boston band Siege, uh, and how, how their, their, their speed and tempo influenced Napalm Death in some ways, and Napalm Death is heralded as, like, kind of the, the godfathers of grindcore. I'm not going to get into that, the first, the creators, the inventors, the pi- you know, whatever, man. We're just going to talk about pioneers, okay? It's important. Yeah. yeah um, you know, everybody knows Napalm Death. Uh, a little, maybe a little, little bit lesser known SOB from Japan. Uh-huh. Um, but that, that Earache Records roster that's famous, uh, Terrorizer, Napalm Death, Carcass, uh, um, extreme noise terror. You know, the, these are like the bands, uh, Brutal Truth. You know, that first wave of grindcore, uh, 88, 89, 90. Um, this is the story has been told. Uh, you know, in that book, and you can you can research it online. These are bands that are still well known today. Some of them still playing today. You can still go see Terrorizer. You can see Napalm Death. Carcass put out a new song recently, right? Yeah, I did believe, they? Yeah, I, I yeah. That, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you know, this is a lot of this is still relevant. I'm trying to uncover. I'm trying to turn turn up the leaves and, and the and the stones and uncover some of the um the grimy stuff here and put some of the other stuff that you might know in context. Um and where I really want to start, if I gotta pick one place to start for all of this stuff right now, I'm gonna start with the band Repulsion. So I cannot wait to learn more about Repulsion because I've been sleeping on it. I didn't I never studied much in my youth and I still don't in my non youth. Uh, well, this is something. Uh, a while back, I brought in a cassette tape by the Zombified Preachers of Gore, yeah. who, in my my humble opinion, were very much influenced by Repulsion because the sound was similar. Uh, Repulsion was founded in 1984 uh, in Flint, Michigan, American grindcore band. Mm-hmm. Uh, recorded the Slaughter of the Innocent demo in '86, which was remixed and re-released uh, by Necrosis Records as the album Horrified in '89. So, 
Uh, but like the uh, the kind of like uh, tin foil hat conspiracy theory on the internet that I subscribe to a little bit is that the <laughs> demo in '86 was put out there in demo form, and a lot of your tape traders, uh, maybe uh, English bands, I'm not going to name names, but around the world. Uh, Apes uh, Repulsion And by the time that their Horrified album Came out in 89 There were already bands That had releases That were like Borderline ripping them off Oh yeah Right um, Because there were people That were ahead of the curve And heard that demo Through yeah. tape trading And things of that nature And if you listen to Repulsion And keep in mind That this was recorded in 86 uh, Yes there were bands Using blasting And fast tempos You had your Siege And your Napalm Death And things like that But uh, Repulsion was doing something way ahead of their time, especially in terms of the drums and the, the sp- just the overall speed of these songs. Um, so I really got to credit Repulsion with a lot of this. Now, when you get into that 86, 87, 88 territory, you know, we've talked before about death, scream, bloody gore, and how um, Chris Reeford goes on to part ways with Chuck Schuldner after that first death album and form Autopsy. I feel like uh, scream, bloody gore and Autopsy are very important com- in, in the gore grind conversation, although they were like early death metal, right? Um, but they still influenced a lot of this stuff, and Repulsion is right there in there with that early autopsy and early death. Uh, and another band that everybody knows called Carcass, like we already said. Carcass is founded in 85, I believe their demo is 86, and Reek of Putrefaction is in 88. Uh, so, uh, again, you have a lot of things coming out in the subsequent years after Repulsion. 87, 88, 89, that's where a lot of stuff starts coming out. Uh, another band... From the United States, Impetigo, um, founded around 87, maybe eight, maybe 86, 87 and 88, they released their demos, and Ultimo Mondo Cannibal, their first album, comes out in 90, which is heralded as one of like the very first gore grind releases up there with Rika Putrefaction and Repulsion. Right there, that's kind of like for any like, you know, die-hard gore grind fan or anyone who wants to like tap into gore grind from, from the chronological roots, I would have to tell you to get Carcass's first two albums. Dip into the old Impetigo and check out Repulsion. That, to me, is like a good foundation for gore grind. And, you know, you can't really trace it much further back than that. I'm sure there's people out there that have a demo somewhere from Brazil in, in 1965 or some shit of some band. I don't know. This is the uh, teenage years of death metal mm-hmm. and grindcore and all ex- sorts of extreme music. So everything's still being figured out. Big Venn diagrams where all these bands are kind of landing. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you listen to the for that Impetigo album, uh, Ultimo Mondo Cannibal, I feel like there's a big macabre influence. And Macabre, another band that is not really a gore grind band or even a grindcore band, but another band I feel like should be really credited with the gore grind movement. I think a lot of, like, you had this thing in the 80s where you had death, early death, autopsy, macabre, uh, repulsion, and that influenced the whole wave of bands who saw Carcass's first two albums and Napalm Death and Extreme Noise Terror maybe as the influence for where they wanted to go musically and those other bands were where they wanted to go lyrically and aesthetically, the gore, you know? Mm. So as we move forward, let's not leave out noise core. I want to stay with the gore grind. Gore grind is the basis of this conversation tonight because gore grind to me is the first offshoot of, of traditional grindcore like Napalm Death, Terrorizer, etc., uh, gore grind is the first, you know, subgenre that's created out of that, in my opinion. Uh, although you also have noise core, which goes back. You, I mean, you have sore throat from England in '87, um, who were very controversial, very anti-commercialism and grindcore, anti-napalm death, anti-sex pistols, anti any of that stuff becoming trendy or commercial. Sore throat. For that reason, too, uh, celebrated in grindcore circles and remembered as one of the first innovative noisecore bands, but perhaps not as not better, not as 
as um, celebrated as Napalm Death in those bands because they were against them. They talked, right. a, they talked yeah. a lot of shit. Sore Throat oh. is the sickest name for a band, too. Like, and there's, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a heavy... They were playing heels. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> when they they kind of were. When you're yeah. that public about being... Um, like anti, like anti commercialism. Yeah. That's a form of commercialism, especially back then. Yeah, uh, and th- you know what? That's fine. I don't really care. That's sure. that that works for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and when you listen to them, that's also they also kind of have like the blueprint for that like a hundred million songs in ten minutes grindcore yeah, yeah. thing, short songs. And uh, around the same time, eighty eight, uh, anal cunt AC from the Boston area starts. Um, and they're kind of like an American answer almost to that. I don't know, what, you know, what the influences or who, who technically might have come first in the rehearsal stages, but mm-hmm. you know, everyone knows the deal with AC. Uh, yeah. You know, Seth Putnam trying to offend everybody, yeah, better or worse, you everything know, you know he did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was to just fuck with people. Also making brutal noise core. Um, you know, really setting the bar for like for 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 not being a grindcore band but being a noisecore band yeah. um, which is important for some of the stuff that comes later like your Gorbion Necropsy Final Exit from Japan actually you know you see a lot of that in Japan, in Japan that kind of sound I'd be remiss to not mention Fear of God from Switzerland uh, around 87, 88 they put out a 7 inch um, and, and some other stuff some of, the, some of those guys were involved in zines and other projects uh, and from Switzerland which isn't known as a big country I guess so much for, for the underground music anyway to my knowledge but Neutral. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> neutral. <laughs> but Fear of God, not to be confused with a ba- a female-fronted doom metal band that came on a little bit later uh, from the United States, but Fear of God from Switzerland, um, really uh, celebrated cult noisecore band. So I feel like that AC, Sore Throat, and Fear of God are the three that you got to keep in mind for noisecore, which mixes in and out of gore grind through the years, man. Um, so we talked about Repulsion, Impetigo, and Carcass. That's like your three kind of first-wave gore grind, in my opinion. Later on, towards your late 80s and early 90s, you got, like, Sarcastic from Brazil. I, you might remember I talked about their 7-inch um, Corpse and Decomposition uh, from Rottenness Records. Last Days of Humanity, founded in 1989, um, releasing demos in 92 and 93. Uh, Regurgitate, founded in 1991, first demo in 91. Uh Necrony, Mucky Purulent, Miscarriage 7-inch in 91, which would uh, break up, and members of that would form Nasum, very well-known uh, grindcore band. Yeah, they really found a niche for themselves. Awesome Absolutely. Band, and, uh, I, I'm glad they get the appreciation that they do. They certainly do, and I would recommend anybody who's a fan of Nasum or a fan of Gore Grind to go back to check out their old band at Necrony from the early 90s. Uh, Mixomatosis, founded in 1990, uh, more of a noisecore version, but that's where the gore grind and the noisecore kind of start going, you know, going together. And uh, something I forgot to mention, though, um, founded in 1986, Blood from Germany, as more of a noisecore band. But then in 1989, they released their Impulse to Destroy album, where they adjust their sound to more of a grindcore gore grind sound. Now, anyone. Even if you're not a grindcore fan and you listen to the heavy hold, just and you're, you're like trying, you know, just getting through this episode. What's Will got to say? Blood Impulse to Destroy is recommended for everybody who likes extreme music. That album is uh, the vocals. Um, first of all, it's just a, a, a really to this day still. A, a, it has. It reminds me more of like your revenge and your black metal war metal bands uh, vocals that use pitch shifters than gore grind vocals. It's disturbing. Mm-hmm. And evil and crazy sounding. Blood is a band that kind of has always been uh, more of a gore grind, grindcore adjacent band. But I feel like they don't fit in the death metal or grindcore category. They're their own thing, 
even though they're all around brutal. They're just this brutal. Blood might be metal of death in some weird Ooh. way. Wow. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta think this through. I'm not gonna get. I'm not, I'm not gonna call it off the. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm we not gonna jump the gun. We need a but. We need like a thunder sound when that happens. Yeah, like, oh, blood. I just had a little broken, fractured light bulb go off over my head. Blood might be metal of death. I, I do feel like every time that's brought up, there's an implication of time. We have to. F- yeah, you gotta sit on it, figure it out. Yeah, you have to dwell on it, man. Yeah. So that's. It, 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 I just reframed that album for myself. Hmm. Okay. So the late 90s, you see bands really experimenting with this thing that Carcass did. Carcass really started a fire with the gore grind bands. Um, uh, Regurgitate, Last Days of Humanity, Squash Bowels, Dead Infection. uh, First two releases, more of a death metal sound. The Dead Infection goes thoroughly gore grind. Chapter of Accidents, 96. Need I say more? Every Best gore grind albums ever come out. People know the deal. And I might mention now that I believe his name is pronounced Siegen, but the drummer of Dead Infection, uh, original founding member still to this day in the band, uh, he's currently having a lot of medical issues. There's a GoFundMe online. You mm. could go look that up. I've shared it on the Heavy Hole Facebook. So I might as well bring that in right now while we're talking about Dead Infection and his contributions to Gorgrind. So um, we, you know, we wish the best for him. We hope he gets better. And we're sharing that information right now. And we're sh- we'll, we'll share it on our on our uh, social media. Um, so best wishes for Siegen from Dead Infection. Uh, but, but you know, back to what I was saying, the late 90s, you see, like I said, I think 96 was that chapter of accidents, and that set the bar very high for any gore grind to ever be recorded or released since. Yeah, there's something about that album when you when you really stew in that for, I don't know, you, you give it one whole listen, and you go, this came out in 96? Holy shit. Like, yeah. there are things that come out now that, that are in the same genre that don't sound nearly as good. And I, I get that there's a grittiness that people aspire to get to with Gore Grind. This is the perfect mix of excellent production meets over-the-top, way-distorted, awesome pitch shifters. Yeah, so uh, Dead Infection. Um, another thing, too, is uh, you have Regurgitate. They put out a, a few demos. They put out their Effortless Regurgitation of Bright Red Blood album. Uh, followed that up with the Concrete Human Torture demo in 94. And eventually signed with Relapse Records and put out a whole uh, slew of albums. Um, but just touching on Regurgitate, uh, that's a band with some ex-members from the death metal band Crematory from Sweden, who I probably should have brought up already. Really sick band. And you can kind of hear a little bit of that. In regurgitate style, regurgitate was really catchy, um, and and just uh, had had a certain thing about their sound that was like almost ear candy to a gore grind fan, uh, gore grind fan, very um, uh, punk and hardcore influenced, and kind of anti death metal in the beginning. I remember um, more of like a reaction maybe to the commercialism or perceived commercialism of death metal at that point, uh, which is which speaks to why maybe a lot of these gore grind and noise core bands were happening kind of to that sore throat point that it was like a reaction to the commercialization of death metal in the early 90s. You had this undercurrent of noise core and gore grind bands like this coming up. Uh, So Regurgitate's effortless regurgitation of Bright Red Blood, 
Um, the Concrete Human Torture demo. I think all this stuff was re-released uh, by Relapse Records. You can check it out. And their later releases are highly recommended also, but, you know, I always go back to this old school stuff. They got some funky album covers, too, because they kind of took the gore grind approach with this album, Effortless Regurgitation, but then later on they had some really... Um like yeah. humorous, like black hole sun meets like uh, weird Car- cock gore and shit. Carnivorous <laughs> erection and yeah. sickening bliss are the two album covers I think you're referencing. Yes. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. Uh, interesting. The 2000s was an interesting. T- See, that's another thing, man. The 90s with gore grind, you saw this straightforward gore pictures thing, uh-huh. and like I said, you didn't really have the internet uh, as available to people then. People were getting these out of medical books and newspapers and underground magazines dedicated to true crime. Um, as the 2000s move on, I think maybe the attitude was that it was done already, and it was all on Rotten.com and websites like that, so oh, yeah, regurgitate. Regurgitate, of course, having the Relapse Records budget now. Why wouldn't you get West uh, Ben? I think what was it, West Ben Scotter or Ben Scooter, the the, art, the famous death metal artist? Uh, why wouldn't you get him to draw something really crazy and, and outlandish for you? You know what I mean? Yeah, so. it's somewhat easier to swallow than a lot of the gore grind covers because there's humor element to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and I mean, we did the whole episode on that with Adam Rotella about uh, yeah, the real gore, gore. Yeah, yeah thing. But uh, you know, just worth noting, uh, you, you can see a progression. This, it may it might be adjacent to uh, you know in the '90s where a lot of death metal bands started using uh, started abandoning their scratchy logos, uh, you know, for goofy word art. You know, look at diatribes and look at uh, right uh, the uh, pretty much every every uh, album we covered in the Slaw and Order episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, each of those albums had a fun word art, Matrix effect, uh, but in the gore grind fashion. As you said, Tom, the D-beats on this, like, Regurgitate had a very catchy kind of D-beat punk uh, influence to the, to the to the the rhythm and the tempo and, and the type of riffs they would use. Uh, and if if you if you if you find uh, Regurgitate appealing, I, I recommend you to go back and check out Crematory, the death metal band that I believe the drummer and guitarist were in um, before uh, Regurgitate formed. Um, and uh, this, that also kind of shows you there was like gore grind is pretty much grindcore. Uh, you find uh, certain stylistic tendencies and guitar tones and pitch shifter vocals, and obviously the gore lyrics and imagery is, is the big difference. Um, squash Bowels from Poland. We talked about Dead Infection, but Squash Bowels is big. Uh, you never really know if that band is a gore grind band or a grindcore band um, with their, their subject matter or things like that. From, from release to release, they, they kind of can change their sound back and forth. I think their most gore grind release was probably their split with Malignant Tumor that they did back in the day. That was extremely gore grind. Uh, and they had their Something Nice 7-inch and, and some older releases. Later on in the game, they turned into more of a traditional, brutal grindcore band. Yeah, the later catalog is just grindcore. And it's uh, yeah. when I say just grindcore, it's um, not much to me. Yeah, ex- exactly, man. So you see that with gore grind and grindcore, it's a lot of the same territory. And, and even some bands kind of switch back and forth. Um, but uh, old squash bowels. If you're maybe somebody who's only been exposed to squash bowels newer material since they gained better 
um, promotion and exposure in, in the, the last decade or so. Uh, I really recommend you go back uh, and check out the, the really raw, freaky, early 90s um, Squash Bowls recordings. Uh, it, it's especially like the Something Nice 7-inch, and as I said, the split with Malignant Tumor, man. That's really lo-fi gore grind at its best. Did they sign with Relapse? Are they on Relapse now? They were on Willow Tip. They put out something on Willow Tip. Uh, That's what I was thinking. All right. Yeah, so Squash Bowels, a band that's in the in the gore grind grindcore gray area for me, especially their older material. Um, uh, and I gotta talk about Gut. Um, they released, uh, sorry, their Drowning and Female Excrements demo '91. Uh, all apologies. <laughs> Which is uh, that band? That band is often credited as the beginning of porno grind, um, along with uh, uh, like uh, Mucky Purulent from Germany, which I believe at one point shared a member with Gut. Um, and later on, you have Cock and Ball Torture, who we've talked about before on the podcast. Um, and that, that German uh, porno grind sound, man, which is kind of like an offshoot of gore grind. It's, 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 been, it's been said that maybe it has a little bit more of like a groovy rock, rock and roll influence sound. Uh, the kind of deep inhaled vocals, um, things like that. Can I pose a question real quick? Sorry to cut you off, but you have all these bands from Germany, Cock and Ball Torture and Gut that are pushing the envelope here. Now, Germany had banned some of the earlier Cannibal Corpse material. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that sent a message to people? They want to see what they could get away domestically? Because I know the screenings for when you're doing international distribution is a little more tough. So maybe kind of like them playing with that and going so extreme. It, it could have very well been some sort of reaction. Uh, I mean, I, I would say, I don't know about that Cannibal Corpse album um, specifically, but could definitely well have been a reaction to the, the culture of censorship. Yeah, they, things they, like that's that. what I think, like a more yeah. broad thing, because like a lot of stuff that comes out of Germany is really intense. I mean, even yeah. look at the popular heavy metal stuff or, you know, industrial, like Ramstein. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they, they really push it for... Oh yeah, for for the Very audience, sexual. They have. Yep. yeah. So I don't know. Maybe there's like an inherent uh, thing they have culturally, you know, recent culturally. Uh, could very well be, you know, and that um, that genre, uh, again, much like I'll talk about with like cyber grind and drum machine gore grind and gore grind, and you know, all this stuff, man. It's been watered down. Um, when you hear about porno grind now, you know, it's it's usually just some like teenager in his bedroom with a with like whatever the Fruity Loops equivalent program is nowadays. Just wanking. Yeah. So many good programs available to make stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that gut was in any way highbrow or uh, progressive. But in the time, uh, you know, when they put out that demo in 91, it was a totally different sound. And uh, if you listen to their 91 demo now in hindsight and context of what gore grind and porno grind is, you can tell that they were laying the foundation for a very distinct stylistic offshoot of grindcore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they were doing they were doing something different that was uh, portrayed and copied by other bands, and eventually watered down. Like I said, yeah, you know, um, and uh, gut, you know, but gut, I feel like is like a, an important part of the conversation because they they carved that niche that unfortunately was like inundated later on. Um, 
You know, but uh, gut also comes up. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, libido airbag, which we brought up on the podcast before, which is I believe the guitarist and vocalist of gut went on to form libido airbag later on. Uh, which is more of your cyber grind, I guess, if you want to use a term. We talked about them yeah. for a bit on the Breakcore episode. Breakcore, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go a little bit into that, but we already discussed that a little bit on Breakcore. Um, so you have gut. The gut's ready to slide to Mr. Bill. Just in the to the I I never listen to Gut because I can't stand the porno samples. Yeah, it's really cool. Like this sound, it's awesome grindcore. The drums sound sick. Yeah, I like the the really drums catchy. sound really great. They actually have that room tone. But I cannot stand the samples. In the I was the other way. I dug the porno samples. I was waiting for the music to suck. It doesn't. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this drummer. Sweat up. Sweat. Yeah. There you go. Well, that's the thing about Porno Grind. It's catchy like this. I'm that's a big another... gut. Yeah. I'm, I'm a yeah. big gut fan right now. Yeah, you know, gut. Um, th- gut. That's the thing about, you know, the worst part about gut and a lot of Porno Grind bands from back in the day that are actually pretty good is you got to sit through the samples <laughs> to get to yeah, the good right? songs. I, I, I don't know. The, you know, the porno samples and all that, it's just never my bag. I like gore grind, it's but I can't. sexual frustration. I mean, I know out. if you are watching pornography, you turn it down. So why would you want to be turned up in your music? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to blast this in the, in the crib or outside of the car, man. You know? Yeah, know the sure. truth. Face the truth. Uh, yeah. Spread it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I have a weird thing, man. I don't like sex to be combined with food or music. You know, it's, 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 it's not its own category. Smart. Leave it alone. Well, in a uh, slightly twisted Hank Hill phrasing, you're not making sex cool. You're making grindcore worse. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. This is the best. So, so that's gut. Uh, an honorable mention for porno grind, as I said, Mucky Purulent and Cock and Bull Torture from Germany. Also, I gotta throw in the, the conversation Undenism and Midget Fetish from Australia. Oh, jeez. From Australia. Yeah, 90s bands, arguably porno grind. It's um, little person fetish, you yeah. freaks. <laughs> ah, whoa. <laughs> uh, and you know, jumping ahead, we're gonna we're gonna have to backtrack when I get into Mince Core. But while we're on the porno grind conversation, I feel like it's very adjacent to cyber grind. Look up Slough. S-L-O-U-G-H. We haven't played them on the show. Yet. Oh, that just sounds like a pedal directly into a computer. Yeah. Uh, just jammed in the disc tray. Yeah. Um, <laughs> slow or slough. I've, I've always been a little unsure of the pronunciation, man. I'm going to get it wrong either way. But we're talking about uh, S-L-O-U-G-H from Illinois. Rotted Rick, uh, Rick Diamond, the proprietor of Slow, and also uh, uh, for a period of time on some releases, Tyler Gein. Uh, rest in peace to Tyler Gein. Uh, the Extreme Scene Records crew, um, Slough being the main band, which was formed from the uh, uh, prior band Morgue Fetus in the early 90s, um, released a bunch of like really cult underground tapes. We probably talked about this a little bit with Adam Rotella uh, uh, on either the Gore episode or the In the Hole with Adam episode. Adam corresponded with Slough very early on in the days 
uh, and and got those tapes. And I feel like it was a huge influence on him. We're talking super lo-fi. As Tom mentioned, uh, like line in to the four track or the computer yeah, recording device. Direct in. Uh, drum machine. Yeah, like just straight um, uh, uh, lo-fi gore grind. Uh, really influential on the cyber grind scene along with catasexual urge motivation from Japan and uh, libido airbag a little bit later on which was which, as I said was members of gut slough and extreme scene records kind of like underrated but were really extreme uh, really uh, did a lot of really edgy um, uh, extreme things serial killers porno the whole thing uh, if you get get into it there was also cyborgasm the secret life turd perversion <laughs> yeah, just re- just remember everyone who's listening here. We have eyebrows, and we can't emote them through yeah. the microphone. But Justin yeah. and I and Will are doing those uh, high points. Yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, yeah, my oh, my yeah. eyebrows are behind my ears right now. So so Slough really like in my eyes the quintessential cyber grind band. Yeah, so uh, Slough, really influential band. Similar sound to that of Catasexual Urge Motivation from Japan. Um, we've talked about Libido Airbag in, in depth uh, on the program. I feel like when we had our break core episode, you could always revisit that. Uh, and as I've uh, lamented, there's uh, like a sea of bands that came in the 2000s kind of doing this cyber grind thing, um, watering it down in a lot of ways. A lot of good bands, not, you know, not, not to say there was nothing good that came out after these bands, but these are kind of like the foundational bands of that uh, era and uh, you know, I one distinction I want to make though is that just because they use drum programming, uh, my opinion, I don't consider like Mortician or Enemy Soil or bands like that cyber grind. Um, they're more bands that use the drum programming in a way that would emulate a real drummer. Maybe where if you hired a real drummer to play a show, you could say these are the parts, and it would be, you know. Uh, easy for them to, to learn it whereas a band like Slough or Catasexual Libido Airbag or uh, Lymphatic Phlegm the last band I want to talk about quickly um, in the cyber grind thing I feel like the drum programs are used in a way that is uh, very blatant and obvious uh, an, an electronic uh, influence they're not trying to hide it and say hey we're just kind of waiting on a drummer or whatever no, yeah. and it's These like computers. I also don't have any gripe with that either I think it's a good tool I, I don't think it's a great thing to rely on 100% and in some regards, but I, I like, man, I like uh, drum machines and computers for that yeah. because you can really push some songwriting forward. Yeah, and and these are bands that I think just didn't um, uh, didn't let it hold them back or, or feel a little bit uh, shy about it to the point where they had to emulate a real drummer. They just took advantage of it for what it was. And a little bit, I feel like, in Lymphatic Phlegm, although Lymphatic Phlegm is their own beast. Uh, I don't know that there's any band that sounds like them. I've talked about them on the podcast a few times. When you turned me on to Lymphatic Phlegm a few months ago, uh, I I have been listening to that band a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way that they use a drum machine is more akin to, uh, like, a producer creating an environment or whatever. You know, like, um, I'm not going to call them Square Pusher or Aphex Twin, but they really have their own box that they made for themselves, and it's great. Like, the Lymphatic Phlegm style is something that I would even like to emulate in music I write. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, really interesting, man. Maybe we could punch them up for a minute. Yeah. This track is actually on the uh, Spotify playlist. I don't know if uh, you people know this, but we have a little Spotify playlist that I'm slowly adding to. Um, it's limited because we're dealing with Spotify, but it's something cool if you want to uh, follow that playlist, Heavy Hole Podcast playlist. Yeah, and if you Spotify this song uh, 43 million times, the artist will see like five bucks. Yeah, it's criminal shit, man. That's why I brought up... Uh, th- Wait, that I can hear it? It's free? Great. Yeah, so, uh, you know, so that's my little thing on Cybergrind. Um, and now I'm going to backtrack a little bit uh, and go back to the, um, really, the late 80s uh, and early 90s. I want to talk about Mint's Core, oh, all right? damn it. I thought you were going to say rat. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down, tough guy. All right. After this podcast, we'll, we'll get, a, get a beer and we'll talk rat. We'll go around and round. You, you and me, yeah, we'll go around and round. That's right. Um... But uh, I want to talk about Mincecore. We talked Gore Grind, Porno Grind, Cyber Grind. Let's talk Mincecore, which, of course, if you've been paying attention, is synonymous with Agathocles from Belgium. Uh, formed in 1985, uh, released their Kabbalistic Gnosticism 88 demo um, of noisy, blasting grindcore, uh, and would later kind of refine that into what's known as Mincecore um, in the early 90s. Now, if, if you've been paying attention to your distro lists and your review sections and everything, you know that Agathocles has been around forever, like I just said, releasing... Um, uh, the number of releases they have is like pi. You know what I'm saying? Like the mathematical equation for pi as is like... As soon as you feel you've memorized it, yeah, they've come uh, out with uh, six more. Uh, I was going to say they have three and change. Yeah, <laughs> they just put out a couple of split seven inches and a rehearsal demo while I said that. Yeah. All right, like... There's so much. Uh, there's so much Agathocles. Um, if you want to listen to our interview with Ralph from Haunted Hotel Records, that's a man that uh, booked uh, and managed their first U.S. tour and has released things by them, distributes things by them, and knows a lot about them. And here's the thing about them. Great band. The sound has changed back and forth over the years quite a bit. Mincecore, if I had to put it in a box, I guess you could say Mincecore is... It's kind of like if you took Grindcore, let it become Gore Grind, and then... Took it back from Gore Grind and put a little bit more like punk and hardcore influence on it, but maintained the Gore Grind influence. It's crazy. Right. It's like a very punk, hardcore, social political commentary uh, influenced Gore Grind. Or Gore Grind influenced social political commentary. It's something like that. The imagery is teetering. Like, you know, you yeah. can get political with the, the album covers or you can get Gore style, but there is. Um I mean, the exception that we, we talked about before with, like, Repulsion, not Repulsion, uh, Regurgitate, doing the, um, doing, like, D-beats and stuff. Yes. They're, they're a lot more familiar in this, so it has a bit more of that West Coast hardcore and punk style shit. Yeah, and a lot of that one-two stomp, kind of like uh, kind of like mid-tempo skank beat, you yeah, know, the, like, the that's very stomp. big. Yeah. Exactly, that's very big with Minscore. Now, like I said before, it's a daunting amount of releases with Agathocles. I narrowed it down to three albums from the early 90s that I highly recommend, especially to your fans of Gore Grind and Brutal Grindcore, that you look at Agathocles and you don't know where to start. Um, uh, first of all, 1992, they put out their Theatric Symbolization of Life, 
um, which is kind of a combination of gore grind with death metal influence and spoken word in some places. Um, this this is their most death metal album, Theatric Symbolization of Life. It's really good. Uh, they put out two years later, Black Clouds Determinate, and uh, a year after that, Razor Sharp Daggers, my personal favorite album of theirs. Uh, those all on the Cyber Music label. Um, and this is like a good a good place to start. A lot of these full lengths were actually collections of tracks that were released elsewhere on 7 Inches, uh, split EPs and things like that. But those three, uh, Theatric Symbolization of Life, Black Clouds Determinate, and Razor Sharp Daggers from the early 90s, those are really good places to start with Agathocles if you're a fan of brutal gore grind and um, like primitive sludgy death metal even in some ways, man, to get a feel for this mince core. Another place like... Minscore, like I said, synonymous with Agathocles, but in the mid-90s, Malignant Tumor, if I remember correctly, it was when they did their split with Squash Bowels, they kind of came out and said they're no longer a gore grind band, they're playing Minscore exclusively, and really started aping the Agathocles sound. Later on, of course, you have Haggis from California, who we covered very early on in the podcast. Haggis. Dahmer of Canada... More of a serial killer gore grind band, but I feel like they have enough of that catchy hardcore punk influence to be like borderline mincecore, Dahmer from Canada. And of course, Ulcerous Phlegm, who I've brought up on the podcast, another band that teeters on that, that barrier between like more of your social commentary, noise grind, and gore grind. But it all starts and ends with Agathocles with mincecore, so, uh, you know, maybe we'll let that ring out. Maybe if we could play that theatric symbolization of life record. Um, that that's my personal favorite Agathocles uh, as a death metal fan because it's the big the one with the biggest death metal influence. So, um, mo- moving back over to the United States, uh, I would be remiss to talk about uh, offshoots of Grindcore without bringing up the controversial label Power Violence. What does yeah. it mean? Sorry, what does guys. it mean? Got to take you there. So- uh, sorry to Mason. Don't call me that. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Justin just went all Jack Skellington. Yeah. What does it mean? What, so, does it what mean? does it mean? So, when we talk about Power Violence... Um, I feel like there's uh, a bit of a spiritual connection to Mincecore. Maybe that I'm, you know, maybe I'm on one right now. Who knows? But it's kind of like this DIY spirit, uh, this blurry middle ground between DIY punk grindcore uh, and uh, the kind of alternative spirit of, of like punk in the early '80s hardcore mixed with grindcore and death metal um, that was manifested. Maybe even with like a, an appreciation for like hip hop culture and kung fu movies in the case of. Um, uh, uh, power violence. So when you talk about power violence, you got to talk about Chris Dodge and Slapaham Records. Uh, also, his band Spaz. Uh, he was in a band called East West Blast Test with Dave Whitty that we talked about a little bit with Dave. But uh, Spaz, very well known as uh, like you know one of your premier power violence bands from California, along with Man Is the Bastard, who had a very much different sound. Uh, I don't believe Man Is the Bastard even used a guitar. They had like two bass players. They uh, you know then there was. Um, Lack of Interest, Dystopia, Capitalist Casualties, The Locust, who we just brought up on our video game adjacent episode. And uh, 
something that these bands all shared. It was kind of like a, an interesting take on grindcore and punk, but with kind of a self-aware sense of humor, an appreciation for pop culture, uh, and, and appreciation, I believe, for like hip-hop and metal in an aesthetic way, almost. Um, power violence is its own animal, man. And uh, some pe- there's people that love power violence that might tell you right now I'm getting it all wrong, because power violence is so weird and hard to categorize. And there's even people like Mason from Enemy Soil, who we interviewed, who would tell you that they don't even like that term. It's all grindcore. Yeah, um, I see it as a kind of very eccentric offshoot of grindcore and hardcore, uh, kind of a blurry ground occupied by people that were very DIY-minded but also very open-minded um, in in the 90s. Uh, that was particularly out of California, but you also had things like Suppression from Roanoke, Virginia, as early as 1992. I believe that band is still around in some incarnation. Uh, and, and you had labels, uh, you know, Slap of Him Records was the big one that put out a lot of bands. Uh, but you also had Six Weeks uh, Records, uh, which was operating in 1992, operated by members of Capitalist Casualties and The Dredge. They specialized in, uh, and The Dread, pardon me, they specialized in various compilations um, of obscure hardcore and punk from like regional uh, areas. Uh, they, they were really trying to expose unknown bands. You had Bovine Records from Wisconsin in 1994. Uh, putting out releases by Spaz, Apartment 213, Grief, Suppression. Uh, they put out the Agoraphobic Nosebleed demo on 7-inch. Um, Cripple Bastards and Holy Grave, Discharge. You know, uh, so there was a, there was like a couple of DIY labels um, across the country putting out these bands. Uh, and the bands had a variety of sounds. Like I mentioned, Man is the Bastard. Kind of uh, some of those guys uh, also doing Bastard Noise, which I believe is still an active group of, uh, you know, kind of like a, a noise project. Um, but Man is the Bastard, really your kind of grindcore and hardcore influenced band, but finding their own sound and their own niche, their own aesthetic, man. That's what I mean. There's there's something about power violence that's that's hard to define, but definitely set, set apart from traditional grind and hardcore. Uh, you also had... Um, so I have a question. Um, so many bands that we've talked about in, in, under the umbrella of power violence have shunned off that name. We're not power violence. Who's a band carrying the flag of power violence? Who's saying that like that's this is what we're doing? I, well, I don't know. Did a lot of people shun it besides Mason? I don't know. I, it doesn't really get brought up that much. I yeah, mean, I, I don't. Really... I see. I see people like using the term a well, lot. Like full of hell, right? That's another band that like shuns it off, right? And they were do they? Do kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, I... I'm saying it right now that they do. <laughs> I don't know anyone besides Mason that shunned the term. Is anybody carrying the flag for power violence? Well, I, I actually, I mean, this this might be a listener question. Anyone yeah. have some insight yeah. on that? They're Leave actually, I'm putting it out there. There yeah. actually is a younger generation that I see the term power violence being used a lot, and there's a lot of newer bands. Um, I'm a little outdated by saying weekend nachos because they were more active in the early 2000s, early yeah. to mid 2000s. But I know that they were considered power violence for that time, and there's a lot of bands since then that have kind of. Um, uh, gone that way maybe because it was popularized by them. Yeah. So Tom, cut this out, but also listeners, let us know. So yeah, so man is the bastard, really original semi. We'll just let them ring out for a minute. That's right. 
Um, so excruciating terror, who I brought up on the podcast, very much associated with that scene. Uh, but they were more of your traditional grindcore band. Um, I just had to throw their name out there. And there's also, uh, as I said, very California-centric movement, power violence. But there was also bands uh, from the East and from New York um, that I believe were kind of like involved in this. Um, could you look up Millhouse? Uh, you know, you know, you also had kind of like I consider this an East Coast adjacent, like power violence mm-hmm. adjacent movement of bands that were um, big on the early, like primitive screamo. And we've talked before about that. Does not mean the mall goth screamo thing that screamo means now. Uh, '90s very screechy hardcore punk uh, mixed with grind uh, scene. Uh, Millhouse from Long Island, New York, a band that was very prominent when I was first getting into things. I saw them live a few times when I was much younger. This Modern Problems, uh, Old Fashioned Solutions, and Classic Mistake 7 Inch was one of the first underground 7 inches I purchased at None of the Above Records and Center Reach. Um, and like I said, there's just something screechy and fast and abrasive about this that is maybe a, a, a gray area between grindcore and hardcore punk. And this was maybe like the more, uh, I'd say the, a little bit more serious uh, and emotional version of what Power Violence was doing elsewhere in the country. It was uh, Millhouse. Maybe Black Army Jackets, CR, bands like that. So, you know, just just wrapping up on power violence, like I said, man, this whole episode, there's so many bands I'm going to leave out. Uh, so many things I'm going to forget. I'm just trying to give an overview and maybe give some starting points. Like I said, for power violence, you really want to look into Slapaham Records, Six Weeks Records, Bovine Records, Man is the Bastard, Charles Bronson, Capitalist Casualties, Dystopia, Lack of Interest, The Locust, uh, Suppression from Virginia. And there was also a lot of kind of, you, you call it doom. It wasn't your regal European doom. It was more like Corrupted from Japan, Maybe what Primitive Man is doing nowadays, uh, a band like 13, Cattle Press, Grief. Uh, bands like this were also heavily associated with the power violence movement, um, maybe because they were uh, playing slow music, but very much aesthetically, uh, and in, in their, in how they viewed the approach, uh, very similar to the power violence scene. Um, so... Uh, one thing I don't want to leave out of this, though, although I guess a lot of people just consider it more part of that Relapse Records grindcore movement or whatever you want to call it, but Discordance Axis from New Jersey, we interviewed Dave Whitty for a whole episode, and we're going to have him back. You could check that out. But, um, Tom, do you have anything that maybe you could add about that element of power violence and grindcore? Yes, uh, I do have a little bit prepared here, so Th- get, thank ready, you. get ready thank to you. switch gears. I want to kind of talk about this type of grindcore that doesn't have a name, I suppose. It's more of a style that's become popularized. Um, in a way, it has roots in Japan. Uh, I'm not going to be talking about SOB, catasexual urge motivation, clotted symmetrical sexual organ, all that shit. I'm not talking about it right now. I'm going to go very very specific right now, uh, really honing in. So this, like, this japanese influence grind. There's two noteworthy individuals that are going to come up. It's uh, Takafumi Matsubara and John Chang. Just to cover a little bit of background, uh, Unholy Grave is one of the staples of Japanese grindcore. That band kind of got things going for a bit, started 
in the 80s. Uh, they came out with some sick demos in the 89 under the name Nausea. They dropped that and then since have released 12 full lengths and over 100 splits in the EPs. They're like the Japanese Agathocles. Yeah, so they, they're, pretty, they're pretty crazy. They're kind of like the godfathers of that. Them and SOB. But Holy Grave, a little bit more of the style that I want to cover, which I really don't have a name for. So these guys are coming out with some some classic grind shit. And, and slightly after, we see some more Japanese grind popping up. And we see a band called Mortalized. Mastermind behind Mortalized is this guy, Takafumi. Check out the Complete Mortality compilation that's put out. Uh, Takafumi played guitar in that. So Takafumi, um, he develops an original take on songwriting. And um, while he's doing that with Mortalized, over in New Jersey, we got Discordance Axis, which is the Dave Woody band. You know, D- Dave Woody is basically just flexing on everyone, changing it all. He's pulling out all the stops, especially with their last release, the, uh, the Inalienable Dreamless. If you don't know that one, that's a good one. Really solid grindcore album, but it, it, you can play it for people that aren't grindcore heads, and they'll get something out of it. And I feel like that's kind of like what I'm getting into: this grindcore with maybe a bit of more of an emotional, like melodic element to it. Um, so I don't know the whole goss behind the whole thing, but anyway, the discordance axis breaks up, and John Chang, the lead singer, has a little more free time. And John was in touch with Takafumi, who was living in Japan, I believe. Could be a little wrong about that, but we'll see. Uh, seemed to be a perfect pair, as John being a sick, shrieking vocalist with a penchant for all things Japanese, uh, and then Takafumi, who's a sick Japanese guitarist. So the two form Gridlink. So I'm going to play some Gridlink for us right now. They form Gridlink, which feels uh, like an evolved version of a freshly broken up Discordance Axis. It's not that it's more technical or anything like that. It's more polished kind of product. And so Gridlink, and later they develop another band, which started as a thrash band, ended up being another grime band called uh, Hayano Daisuke. Uh, they're basically spiritual successors to... Um, all these other bands that are coming out. So kind of like we covered in the sub-genre marine where, Will, you talked about Dying Fetus, and Justin, you talked about um, Red Chord. You have all these bands that start doing this kind of melodic, intense grind. Bands like Chapang, which is basically two bands in one band because they have two drummers and two vocalists. Um, Worm Rot, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know Worm Rot, pretty big band. Maddie Crust, Friendship. Friendship's great. Great yeah, band, you brought that up during the Bob Minor episode. There you go. Uh, Cognizant, uh, of which the drummer also had played in Gridlink, um, and then bands like Cloud Rat and Converge. Great. So I feel like these bands kind of stemmed from this um, Japanese-American crossover, which is uh, the metal community is small, but that still feels like um, a, a great overlapping. Uh, overlapping. Uh, overlapping. <laughs> That's, yeah, the overlapping. Yeah, be- between uh, Takafumi and John Chang here. <clears throat> uh, 
these guys have put out so many good releases themselves and then have inspired so many other great people. Takafumi plays guitar in a band called Formless Master. Great band. Also, you want to check out the band No One Knows What The Dead Think and their self-titled album on Willow Tip. Another Discordance Axis revival in its own way because John Chang is doing vocals and the original Discordance guitar player, Rob Martin, sick shit. So, uh, Will, with all the stuff you brought in, I, I just kind of want to point at this very strange bubble of, of melodic grindcore. There's a I, certain style to it, you know? I, I would just add that um, I think Pig Destroyer is adjacent to this. For sure. Um, I, I kind of just wanted to point out the circle. I know I missed out on a few of these bands. Um, well, you know, like I said, um, and I know I crammed a lot of information into this episode. Thank you for sticking with me. Uh, but Grindcore is vast, and when you're dealing with bands that release uh, 50 songs in 10 minutes and things like that, uh, you know, it, it can get a little hairy trying to pick apart everybody and talk about everything. Obviously, we missed a lot. Uh, of the yeah. res- respective subgenres we talked about. That's right. I have stuff to say, but part two. Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. Part two. Yeah. You gotta no. wait. Well, we don't want to chew your ear off that much with such a uh, intensive research episode, so we're gonna hang back. Do you know bands such as Part Two and also <laughs> the second part? Yeah, we'll um, be there. So, Will, thanks for doing all that research, man. I gotta. Uh, that was that's just stuff I I that's like me I, reminiscing on high school. I need much. a new <laughs> I need a new notebook now. Well, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I needed a new notebook in high school too because I was like drawing logos for these bands and stuff. Fuck <laughs> uh, But yeah, you know, I just I, we did get a request or, or two on Facebook uh, for another deep dive in the subgenre marine. We appreciate you guys listening, and we're glad you enjoy that. I hope we did it justice again tonight. Um, and, you know, like I said, Grindcore is vast, uh, and and it's also become saturated because it's one of those genres where people think, well, uh, it's going to be too hard to record something else. I'll just do a Grindcore project. Yeah. And it ends up saturating and inundating uh, the field, and it's harder to get to the good stuff. And it's probably bad if you're going in there with that mentality. Of course, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, obviously... But, yeah. Not, not every band does, you know, but unfortunately it makes it harder to weed through. So that's all I wanted to do is give you some tips for uh, uh, starting points. Um, and if you're going to check out one thing I talked about, please check out that uh, Agathocles uh, album. Um, the, any of the first three albums, but especially that theatric symbolization of life. So, um, so that being said, uh, we've done nothing but recommend uh, stuff all night. You've heard a lot of stuff. Uh, you've sampled a lot of stuff. Maybe you'll check it out. Uh, so we're not going to sit here and recommend an old and a new album uh, right after all that. That would be ridiculous. Yeah, that's a lot of editing for Tom, too, man. I thought you had something to say. But <laughs> if you want to recommend an old and or new album, hit us up on the email at heavyholepodcast at gmail.com or check out the brand new heavyholepodcast.com. Ha! Podcast.com. Okay. It's live. It's up. Click the contact page, type in your email, send us a message. It's very, very easy. You don't have to do it on your phone. You could do it on your phone, but you don't have to go on your parents' computer. You don't have to go on your mom's computer, your dad's computer, your son's computer. I don't know who you are, who you're listening to. You could just go right directly to heavyholepodcast.com, bypass the Gmails and the Yahoos, type it in. Get it in there. Also, while you're there, check it out, heavyholepodcast.com slash shop. We got sticker packs on sale. And he's an exclusive. Use the discount code. What is it, Will? 
You only had like three beers, dude. Allegedly. What? The discount code is allegedly <laughs> to get 10% off sticker packs, brand new heavy hole sticker packs. You know what they are. If you don't, find out. <laughs> Heavyholepodcast.com slash shop. Look on that social media for the links. Also, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to paint a beautiful picture for you right now. You go to heavyholepodcast.com. It's brand new. I made it. It's J-Wall. You know who I am. Yeah. We're here. You scroll down the page all the way to the bottom. It says, leave us a voicemail. There's a phone number in big, bold Helvetica type for you. Tom, what is that phone number? It's 631-837-3274. If you didn't hear that, heavyholepodcast.com. Will, what's that, what's that website? <laughs> that was the website. <laughs> what's that you, website? Tom, tell this guy the number. All right, Justin, I, uh, it's 631-837-3274. That's right. What, it's Justin, heavy I, ho- I appreciate podcast.com. I appreciate your, your ridiculous enthusiasm right now. You got it. Yeah, He's, this is regular beer. It's 5.2 alcohol <laughs> by volume. What, what is up with you, bro? All right, you know what? I know why you're psyched, because you designed the website. I'm very glad that you did. It's a beautiful website. Allegedly get, have five tequilas at dinner. Heavyholepodcast.com. Get a sticker pack, all right? Oh, my God. All right. (laughs) Order one. Yeah, one. Uh.